0: Hi, I'm Michael Wright, and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This is a bonus episode. It's a Wednesday, so we are here with something a little bit different. Joining me is one of my colleagues, Olivia Chivas. Hi, Olivia. Kia ora. Uh, Tell us why you're here.
1: I'm here to talk about my new podcast, which I've just made with Stuff. It's called What's Wrong With You? And it's about disability, and I think it's really going to open people's eyes um, about what it's like living with a disability, which I do myself in a world that's not really designed for disabled people.
0: So without like treading on the toes of the podcast or anything, um, what is wrong with you?
1: (laughs) Okay, I did ask all my guests this as well. So I was born with a condition called muscular dystrophy. So I use a wheelchair to get around. So basically it means that all my muscles are weak. So my wheelchair is basically another limb, helps me get around. And, yeah, I guess this podcast kind of explores what that's like for me and many other disabled people on a day-to-day basis.
0: So, I mean, in terms of putting it together and kind of conceiving the idea and what, you, what story you're going to tell, given that most people don't live with a disability, how do you put something like this together so you can tell a story to that cohort of people?
1: Well, we it was so I made this with two other friends with disabilities. So, um between us, we wanted to make sure we interviewed a diverse range of disabled people. And I think what's interesting about disability is that it does really impact basically all groups of society in New Zealand so um, for example we interview a young Muslim woman and she talks about her experience of being part of that community and also being disabled so I think we really do touch on different groups of people which listeners will be able to relate to and I guess the way we tell our stories a lot of it is through humour and a lot of the stories we tell are really funny as well whether you live with a disability or not so we definitely wanted to bring some of that in, um, but also talking about topics that non-disabled people are probably quite curious about, that we get a lot of questions about, what it's like dating as a wheelchair user, do we show our wheelchairs and our Tinder profiles and, and those types of stories as well, which are quite funny.
0: So yeah, I got a sense from listening to you, you get asked a lot of very strange, yes, quite inappropriate questions <laughs> Yes. by just strangers. I'd say on a weekly basis, Yeah. What's, okay, what's the oddest thing you've ever been asked?
1: Probably the one which surprises people the most is when I've had a random stranger ask me, like, if I can have sex. And um, I don't, I, I mean, for me, I don't even know what would rationally make me want to ask another person that. But I have been asked that. And I think I was just so, like, taken aback and, like, shocked about what happened. Um, I think I was, like, embarrassed. Um, surprised and yeah I, I mean I don't, I don't know I it's just one of those funny things that happen
0: <laughs> so like when when you say a random stranger asks you if you can like they're just they just like saunter up to you like you're yes. not chatting anyway they just like say hey quick question yeah
1: yep just totally out of the blue like you'll have um random people like I can, I'll be, might be like walking along a road and then I'll hear someone in the background saying, excuse me, excuse me, and you just know they're going to ask you something that's probably borderline inappropriate.
0: What do you do? Like, I mean, you must be quite practiced at it now, getting those sorts of things. What do you, how do you deal with those?
1: It really depends on the context of the situation. Um, I mean, if it's an adult who you think should know better, I probably would, I mean, I wouldn't ignore them, but I would try to educate them and also be kind about it and say, like, hey, like, that's not on or it's not appropriate. I've had to say that quite a few times. Um, But it's quite different if it's, for for example, like a child. They've got quite an innocent curiosity. And I guess where I come from, I kind of think it's good to kind of be approachable and open to kids because it means that they won't um you're kind of educating them from a young age but they also probably wouldn't ask a disabled person as an adult
0: so what give us a quick sample we're going to play the first episode of your podcast here after this but the the podcast is six seven eight episodes seven
1: episodes yeah seven
0: episodes long what what other sort of things do you cover across the series
1: yeah, so the first episode is a real, um, quite a good introduction, I guess, to me and how I grew up with a disability. It kind of starts from childhood um, and how my parents and many other parents of kids with disabilities kind of go through a range of emotions when they have a child with a disability and um, that kind of grieving process of diagnosis to um, finding joy throughout the whole journey. We, so my podcast producers and hosts, so Rebecca Dubber and Grace Stratton we went to Dunedin for a travel episode so I recorded basically the whole trip and if you think traveling with a disability is difficult try recording it as well (laughs) Um, so we recorded the whole trip right from check-in to finding our luggage getting on the plane checking into the hotel um, going to different tourist destinations and I think it all give people quite an insight into what it's like traveling with a disability I mean I knew it was going to be challenging but um, there were quite a lot of funny moments which happened which I luckily was able to grab audio of as well Um, but yeah like I said we talk about dating and sex we talk about faith and how people's disabilities play a role in in their beliefs Um, my favorite episode is probably the media representation and I think a lot of the stories we see about disabled people um can be quite damaging to disabled people's self-image and how they see themselves so that was quite um quite a fun one as well and we really kind of get into some really bad stories but also good stories about disabled people
0: how is it damaging
1: well i think we see kind of a contrast between these kind of triumphant inspirational stories on one side and the kind of the tragedy pity stories on the other side. And for me growing up, I couldn't relate to any of those types of stories. So I think that's kind of one of the reasons we wanted to make the podcast was to make something that could resonate to a wide range of disabled people and they felt like their voice was heard.
0: The first episode, you, you touched on it before, but as we go to it, just set this up for us. What What is this first episode um, about? What does it cover?
1: When I think about this podcast, I kind of think about how I started making it kind of like since I was a child in a way, because... I've got some old home video that I use in this podcast to kind of set up um, and it's my parents videoing me trying to walk and take my first steps and as you can tell I'm not very good at walking and that comes across Um, yeah it's quite a tearjerker. But we interview these amazing parents. One is a dad who's a wheelchair user and he has a young daughter. And he talks about some of the um, random comments that people will say to him when he's out in public with his daughter. And then we interview this amazing mum who has a son with autism. And I love her take on parenting because she's quite realistic about all the emotions that she goes through. But she really talks about how you know parenting a child with a disability isn't about her. It's actually about him. So, yeah, she's amazing.
0: Thanks, Olivia. That is Olivia Chevis. And can I get you to take us out, uh, introduce your first episode?
1: Yes. So the first episode is called What If I Don't Want to Walk Anyway? Disability in Childhood. Hope you enjoy listening to What's Wrong With You. Stuff
2: Podcasts.
1: This episode of What's Wrong with You is sponsored by Every Human, an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing, footwear, and lifestyle products. It's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au. Come on, Olivia. I'm walking to daddy. Come on, show daddy. The other day, I dug out an old home video. <laughs> Yeah, that's me, aged about three.
2: Mama,
1: me. Cute, eh? Okay, one step, look. Good step. And that's my dad holding the camera, capturing every move as they inch across the lounge. Are you walking, no? walking
3: here.
1: Plenty of families have these kinds of home movies. <laughs>
3: On the floor.
1: Parents capturing their kids' attempts at walking. Going to this grandma and grandma, you can tell that for my parents, it was a big deal. <laughs> But for me, I don't remember particularly wanting to learn to walk.
0: Good girl! Oh, she's
1: walking to the chair, look. It was hard work.
0: Ah, I can see
2: you on the bed.
1: Yay! Anyway. Good girl, look! I was born with muscular dystrophy, central core congenital myopathy. Yeah, I know that's a mouthful. It means my muscles are weak. Now, those exercises I did way back then weren't a total waste of time, as it probably did help the mobility I have now. But walking was just about impossible. I got my first wheelchair when I was six years old. I do remember hating the feeling of missing out on some things, but in my mind, being able to actually walk was never the solution. For a while at primary school, I did walk some of the time, using calipers and crutches, but it was slow work. At high school, I switched to using the wheelchair full-time. I was way faster on wheels than in my calipers, and I just wanted to be able to keep up with my friends at lunchtime. So, wanting to walk? For decades now, it's been something that never even crosses my mind. But watching that old video the other day while preparing for this podcast...
2: That's Uh too
0: big, that step. Reminded me
1: that for a long time it was a huge deal to my parents. (laughs) Because while I was blowing raspberries at the camera, they were worrying about what it would mean for their daughter if she never learnt to walk. (laughs) This is What's Wrong with You, Stuff's podcast about disability and about living in a world that's not designed for you. I'm Olivia Shivers. And I'm a digital producer for Stuff. And I'm Rebecca Dubber.
3: I'm a Paralympian and communications consultant. And we both use wheelchairs to navigate the world. Across the seven episodes of What's Wrong With You, we're gonna cover all sorts. Dating while disabled. Travelling when you're disabled. Disability and religion. We're gonna hear from guests who will talk about fashion, sex, media representation, and body image. And we'll also try to answer some of the big mysteries facing people living with disabilities, such as, why do so many weird things happen whenever we go to the supermarket?
1: But for this very first episode of What's Wrong With You, we're going to start where all stories start. Childhood. Recently, Bex and I have been thinking a lot about what it's been like growing up with a disability, and we'll talk about that. But we're also gonna look at this from the opposite direction, what it's like being a parent who's raising a child with a disability.
3: And seeing we're talking about parenting, there's one more angle to consider. I'm disabled. I use a wheelchair because I was born with a congenital condition called sacral agenesis, which means the bones at the base of my spine aren't fully developed. And I really want to be a mum someday. So I want to know more about the experiences of parenting when you have a disability. So, yeah. That's
1: how today's episode is gonna work. We met a champion wheelchair rugby player who's recently become a father to a sweet little girl. And he tells us about some awkward chats
3: he's had with strangers at the shopping mall. And we meet the mother of a boy who has autism and hear why she thought she was going to Italy, but ended up in Holland. And
1: I make a small confession about my failures as a pet owner. So let's meet our first guest, Dan Buckingham. I started by asking him the podcast signature question. And yeah, we know it's a little bit rude. I don't know if I told you the name of the podcast.
2: You either did or I've heard of it.
1: Um, The name of the podcast is What's Wrong With You?
2: Right, so I broke my neck over 20 years ago now, 99, as a first-year uni student down at Otago, just living the dream there of... Um, studying, surveying and and playing a bit of footy and basically, long long story short, went along to a game of rugby and put my head in the wrong place and broke my neck playing rugby. I was playing hooker at that stage so I had a prop either side of me and then this one scrum went to go down and one of my props pulled out and I should have pulled out with him instead I tried to engage so I got my head caught in a very bad place and all this weight of eight guys coming through one side and my guys pushing behind me all went through my head and neck and something had to give and it was my sixth and seventh vertebrae which leaves me... A tetraplegic, so paralysed from the chest down, with some loss of function to the hands and arms, but uh, exhibit more like a para.
1: Who's Dan Buckingham?
2: Where do I start? I guess the biggest thing in my life is I'm a I'm a husband now, as of a few weeks ago, and a father of a gorgeous 13-month-old daughter. A huge part of my life was sport, playing uh, wheelchair rugby for New Zealand for 16 years. That was all-encompassing. Still miss it, loved it, um, but made that shift, realised there was other things I wanted to do in my life, and hence married with children now. <laughs> yeah, Eda was born on Auckland Anniversary Day 2020, so she's uh, that was January 27th. So. Uh, just about walking just about talking
1: tell us a bit about your family what does your family life look like
2: it's intense I mean it's that's one of been been one of the biggest shifts of, of having a, uh, a baby is life is just so full like from you know through the night <laughs> It doesn't just start at the start of the day it's it's so many emotions I think another big change is I've really I really feel things a lot more I think in terms of things I read in the news or things things where um, uh, a child's been injured or or stuff like that. Like, I've suddenly got all these different sort of um, more intense feelings and, to be honest, a bit of a blur for the last year. Mm. Um, But it's fantastic at the same time.
1: Talking about injuries, I mean, I've run over my cat's tail quite a few times. Have you run over Etta?
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I'm
1: just going to interrupt the interview here. I just have to explain something. When I say run over... I mean in my wheelchair, not my car. I'm a great driver of both cars and wheelchairs, but sometimes I don't check my wheelchair blind spot for small animals.
2: The closest I've I've come to with uh, Etta is, it was two nights ago, I think, she's got up to the stage where she's walking by pushing my wheelchair. So Hmm. she'll hold the bar up at the back and she managed to get her thumb caught between my wheel and and the wheel guard just enough to, yeah, cause a few tears. But, yeah, I think I just live in fear of (laughs) dropping her, injuring her, rolling over her.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, even in the supermarket, when I'm lazy and I don't have a basket, I drop the groceries, and I don't want to be dropping a human baby. How do you carry carry her and push your chair at the same time?
2: The biggest, uh, coolest device I have is uh, made by a guy here in Auckland, Chris Hanley, who made it for himself with the three kids he had. Um, He had another kid uh, before his injury, but he's had three boys since. And uh he gave me two actually one is uh like an old school bouncer, if you imagine that, and it's designed to slot into the front of your wheelchair, and so I've got two little slots that have been added to my wheelchair, and this is just basically as when you see it it's really simple design, it's one piece of tubing that goes up and around with a canvas. Layer on it, so typical, classic, old-school bouncer, and that just slides in and out of my wheelchair. And from the youngest of ages, she has slept on that. Um, I've been trapped under it for hours, like, (laughs) where she's just slept and we're just trying to keep her asleep and I can rock her to bed and I can watch movies on my phone and read a book. Um, But that's been magic from I change her on it and uh, I'm just dreading the day where she's too big for it. She's already a bit big for it, um, but she still falls asleep on it. Uh, But she's also at the stage now where she just sits in my lap really easily and her balance is phenomenal. So, yeah, we actually got her a skateboard for her first Christmas, (laughs) skateboard and uh, and a packet of Band-Aids. So so we're expecting really good balance.
1: Um, In terms of, like, I guess what's kind of deemed to be, like, a traditional father role doing kind of, like, the more active things, like kicking the ball around and you're talking about playing on a skateboard and things like that, like, have you thought about how that might look differently um, being a dad in a wheelchair?
2: Yeah, I think to a large degree, we're just rolling with things as and when they come up. Um, but yeah, we do think about that. And I think Sam takes on a lot more than she would if I was able-bodied. You know, Just loading the car, it's its always her. And I'm jumping in the front and putting my wheelchair in while she loads everything in the back, the bram, and, and gets it around and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think there's gonna be some hard times. I think I want to see I want her to see me as someone who's very active. And this last year, I've been very sedentary. So I've just really tried to turn a corner on that, I think, between Eater and work, and that it's just basically anything like the gym went out the door. And before that, obviously, work was uh, sport was such a big part of my life, wheelchair rugby, and then I got into a bit of um, track racing. So I'm really keen to bring that back in so that she can see me in that active role. So Mm. sort of looking at getting into a bit of wheelchair rugby again, just locally and socially. but yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I, I'll be in there as much as I can. You know, At the moment, it's rolling and throwing a ball up and down the hallway, which she loves.
3: So as Will she users, we sometimes get a lot of intrusive questions from random strangers. And have you had any of these kind of comments made while you've been out in public with Sam and Etta?
2: Yep, yep, constantly. And Sam really notices it more than me, I think, because mm. I've you know, had 20-odd years of it. Um, before they were around. Um, you know, we call them the backslappers the people who just want to say, good, f- good for you being out and all that. Yeah. Um, now it is more, I don't know, now it's, it's not always bad. I think there's a lot of people genuinely intrigued. We just had a few chores to do with them all. So it was in my, uh, sitting on my lap in this uh, little carrier that I have and, and someone came up just genuinely intrigued and lovely about it and was like, this is amazing, Like, mm. tell us more on that. And that was a really cool conversation. Yeah. Other times it can be totally patronising and, and I get a bit antsy and shut them down pretty quick. So yeah, constantly is the short answer. It's, it's always there, but I think it. I try to bring it back to a place where people are just genuinely intrigued. Mm. If I can spin it that way, then it's good.
1: It is probably too young to like know that. Oh, my dad's in a wheelchair. Have you thought about um, mm. her? You know, her understanding of that when she gets older.
2: Yeah, we have. Uh, we have talked about that. I think it's going to be a. It's going to be challenging for her at times. I think she'll, you know, have to cover some questions and probably some taunts and that from other kids, but uh, I think we're doing our best to raise a strong, confident woman. Mm. Um, and also, I think, ultimately, she'll have a more fuller, wider view of the world because she has a father with disability.
3: Well, a big thanks to Dan Buckingham. It's great to hear how he's getting on as a parent who uses a wheelchair. So now
1: let's look at this from another direction. I know a lot of parents of disabled kids go through a grieving process when they realise life will look different to how they planned. So we wanted to get a parent's side of the story, which is why we asked Tiana Airpati if she'd come into the studio. But before we hear from Tiana, a quick word about our sponsor. Ooh, I've always wanted to say that! When we cast our minds back to primary school, we can't help but think of the dreaded school run I'll always remember the busyness of a school day morning with parents running around getting my brother and I ready, helping us get dressed, packing our lunch boxes, making sure my physio appointments were booked in and that I had my togs for swimming lessons after school, and all before 8.30 in the morning. Then we'll get to the school gate, ready to take on the day. With every human, the morning rush is now a little bit easier with their adaptive clothing footwear, and lifestyle products. Instead of fighting to get shoes on over orthotics, wrangling into hard to maneuver buttons, or fighting through those dreaded inaccessible morning tasks, getting ready can now be a little bit easier. The kids in your life will feel more independent and confident, and with every human's lifestyle products, you'll be better equipped to win your day and out the door in no time. We remember as children wanting to do parts of the morning routine independently. And while we've learnt that asking for help is how you gain independence, every human helps disabled people do the things they can in the morning with their universally designed options. We love that, and the young people in your life might too. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au Tiana Epati is a mother and a lawyer. She's also the president of the New Zealand Law Society. She lives on the East Coast in Gisborne with her family. She has three kids. Her eldest son, Umariki, is 13, and he has autism. Not long
3: after Umariki was
1: diagnosed, someone handed
3: Tiana a copy of a short essay that's become kind of famous among parents of disabled kids. It's called Welcome to Holland and it has a really interesting perspective on what it's like raising a child with a disability. Getting a copy of Welcome
1: to Holland is almost like part of the initiation process. So we'll get to Holland later on in the interview, but first we ask Tiana about her son.
4: Umariki is my eldest child. I've got three. Um, He is, I suppose, what you call classically autistic. He's not high-functioning. He's someone who has a lot of... um, challenges in his communication with um, neurotypical people. Um, And he, yeah, he is obviously a big part of my life, but not something that I've um,
1: openly spoken about. Back in the um, earlier days when he first got diagnosed, what's that process of being diagnosed with autism?
4: It can be very different for di- for different people. For me, I think it was actually quite good because I'm a lawyer, because I demanded answers, and when I didn't get them, I kept going. And when they said things like, well, there's a six- to nine-month waiting list for him to see the child development team, I didn't accept that and wrote a letter, and we were seen within six weeks. Um, and I just kept pushing for, you know, them to have a look at him and they brought a team together. So it was relatively quick from the moment I started asking questions about why he wasn't speaking and why he wasn't like other children to the point where we got a unanimous positive diagnosis from a team um, that was only that was within a year whereas other parents I know will go for years and years and years and it really will be um, the result of a, a teacher at school saying, oh no look this you know you've got to do something.
1: Was there anything that you needed to particularly campaign for or, you know, your parents really had to advocate, Bex? I
3: can remember, um, because I was a swimmer, and I got to a point in my swimming where going to swim schools wasn't enough. I wanted to pursue competitive swimming, and to do that to the ability that I wanted to, I needed to join a swim club. So my mum just called up and arranged... Um, an assessment, but didn't tell them about my disability. Um, And she took me along, and the coach that was doing the assessment didn't want to let me in the pool. And Mum just went over there, and she just talked to him for a while. I could see her getting quite frustrated about it. And I think she was just kind of pleading with him to be like, just watch her swim like she can swim. She's capable of joining this club. And I think in the end he gave in and he let me swim, you know, that was... Kind of a memory that I have of actually seeing my mum go into bat for me, um, and that was the start of a very long and successful swimming career for me. Yes.
4: Yeah, I, I enrolled in Murdeky in um, swimming lessons for children who were deaf
3: because
4: mm-hmm. they didn't have any classes for autistic children. They kept saying to me, "Oh, we don't, we don't do anything for." children on the spectrum, but I thought, well, all he's lacking is language, so mm. we'll just enrol him in this class. And they were like, <laughs> no, no. And I was like, no, it'll work. It'll be fine. And I fronted up with him and mm. said, you know, go for it. He he can swim. And he's a, he, he's a fantastic swimmer. He can swim out on the surf and he can surf. And oh,
3: amazing. Yeah. Recently, Tiana made a post on Instagram that both Olivia and I found kind of amazing. In fact, This post was part of the reason we asked her on the show in the first place. There's a photo. It's of Umariki standing in a field and patting a white horse. Umariki is wearing a helmet and has the biggest smile on his face. And then there's the text that goes with it.
1: Do you mind reading what you wrote on Instagram? I've got it it (laughs) (laughs) written here. So just from.
2: Oh, yeah. Sure,
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still remember the day a team of child development experts told me my son was autistic. It took a long time to process the grief, which comes with knowing life was gonna be very different from what I had imagined. And yes, it has been very different and difficult at times. But then a day like today comes when his beloved our school wraps nothing but aroha and acceptance around him. Days like today fill me with hope for him, for all of us. I did warn you that I, mm, <laughs> this, is, this is a new um, mm. subject, I suppose, for me yeah. to talk about. Yeah. It's really important to understand that the grief isn't about um, your child, mm. it's about the world. And I think, you know, when you're a parent, all you do is worry about your children. That's all you do. Um, and when you know that your child will have challenges that other children won't, that just makes your worry even mm. more so. So it's not about your child's not about you, it's about how hard the world can be out there, and that's what you grieve about.
1: I had a similar conversation with my mum just this week, and I was asking her, like, was there like a particular point in my life where you thought, oh yeah, Olivia's life is gonna be all good. She described it like a puzzle, how, you know, it was, we don't know what my child with a disability's life is gonna look like, but okay, Olivia, you know, graduated, High school, that's a piece of the puzzle. Oh, yeah, Olivia learnt to drive. She can drive a car independently. That's another piece of the puzzle. When I, you know, went abroad and travelled by myself, that was, like, another piece of the puzzle on, you know, how success can look like with a disability. I guess comparing, like, how did you get to that point of, you know, acceptance and things like that?
4: I, I don't... Uh, there, was no, there was no point at which I woke up and thought, yes, no, am I've accepted... This, I think, it was a gradual. Um, it almost came over in waves, if that makes sense. So some days it would be um, really challenging, and you lost hope. And other days, you know, you 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 would there'd be a few more words that he would say, or um, he'd be able to do something. Um, all I know is that it took it took a quite a long time. I'd say probably years. Yeah, and then and then you just, I think there was a, it must have been the way I handled someone's reaction to him, where I I was, um, I didn't get upset, I didn't fall apart, I just was quite um, upfront and said, well, he's autistic, and and then moved on and didn't hang on to it, and that's how I knew that that there had been a, a change or a shift in in my thinking. I, I just stopped caring. About other people's reaction or when they stared, I just it didn't bother me anymore. Mm. You know, I just was able to move on.
1: In those earlier days, how did you used to react to those types of situations where people would stare or? Oh, I get say, terrib- compens- yeah, terribly
4: upset, terribly. Um, someone complaining in the Kodo Lounge because he was he was stimming. So stimming is um, essentially a way of coping with the anxiety that a person with. Uh, autism spectrum disorder will have because the world doesn't make any sense and so it's like a it can be rocking back and forth that's a really common one for him he jumps up and down Mm. and he makes a noise he goes and that's that's a way of calming himself down he'll have to do that every day to cope with the anxiety he was making his noises and they were sort of saying oh I you know I'm I'm trying to work here and said it like that Um, and instead of just being quite resilient and upfront with that person, I just started to cry and left. Um, my husband didn't; he sort of stayed and <laughs> wanted to wanted to give him a hiding. But it was it was when those sorts of things didn't get to me as much that I knew that you know I had sort of there was a, a shift inside of me.
1: I think it is interesting when you do grow up with a disability; um, success can look a bit different. It's not, you know, and like I never hit those regular milestones of taking my first steps. I still haven't, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm way behind on that side of things. But yeah, like, like I was talking this kind of puzzle analogy before, like my mum is also my one of my biggest advocates, and when she has conversations with other people about me, she almost has to. I mean, she's not a lawyer, but even she will defend me. She'll be like, Oh, okay, they'll might feel sorry for me, but mum will be like, Oh, you know, she can actually drive, and then her friends her age or who are older will be so surprised, be like, Oh, wow, like their eyes will widen. Even for me, like success is not necessarily hitting those regular milestones, but when you still hit them, everyone else celebrates with yeah. you. Hmm. They're, they're better, because it's about, it's about starting point.
4: And the, the reality is that the world, the world isn't built for you. It isn't built for my son. It's built for neurotypical, able-bodied, you know, white men,
3: mainly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry.
3: <laughs> Just an FYI. At this point, we're laughing at the one neurotypical, able-bodied white man in the room here. That's Adam Dudding. Stuff's podcast director.
4: You know, and so when, so <laughs> it. It, it, it is about start. It, but it is about starting point, and when your starting point is different, it 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 hits different
1: when you do things. What could what could be better done in the in terms of design to help your son thrive? Probably better understanding
4: around autistic spectrum disorder the number of times that people say, oh, but he must have this really... Like, he must be able to play, you know, concertos, and he Mm. must be a savant or rain man. Can I take him to the casino (laughs) to count cards? (laughs) And you're just like, oh, wow, no, he doesn't have any of those things. So I've just got one of those really average autistic children. (laughs) You know, this idea that somehow they have to meet then some other worldly thing... Mm. um, uh, yeah, uh, just a fundamental understanding that it's just difference. Early, early in the journey, I heard a lot of parents saying, "Oh, but you know, I'm really grateful for my child because they make me a better person. I see the work, you know, mm. um, and that is true, and that is a benefit. But it's not about you. They're not. They're not there to enlighten you. They're there to be in the world as their own person. And your job as a parent." is to guide them and equip them to be in the world without you. So it's all about your child. It's not about your journey and what you've learned, although mm-hmm. you do learn a lot. Um, this is about them. And so, yeah, one has to be a little bit... Care- I think the, the grief can overtake parents, and that's how they cope with it. They They kind of run to the other end, like, oh, this is amazing because I've become this really... Amazing person with this new diverse, you know, worldview. It's not about you. It's about your children. Put it this way: I think if he, if because he loves stacking things, if he got a job at Countdown, lining up all the bread and the soaps, mm. I that I that would just be wonderful because I know how much he'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, for me, yeah. that is the greatest joy. Mm ever, mm. um, that he finds something that he loves. It's not about what I want for him. It's not about my expectations. It's about you know, him being happy. And as I said, that is, that is my fundamental job as a parent. It's for any parent. Your children will one day be in the world without you. Mm. And so your job is to make sure that they can, they can be that and be happy.
3: Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that, that is, you know, I think the world would be a much better place if everyone had that Philosophy.
4: So, in Samoa, community and family is everything, absolute everything. It, it, it supersedes and goes beyond the individual every time. And so, where you have someone who is different, who has a disability, who is, um, you know, transgender, all, all that is built into the way that we operate and look after each other. So, um, they don't have any uh, particular understanding around autistic spectrum disorder, but that's kind of irrelevant. Um, and I can remember telling some of my Samoan relatives quite tearfully, you know, that Umuriki was autistic. And my Samoan auntie went, oh yeah, still the same child though, yeah? <laughs> you know, real straight talking, but okay, yeah. but that's he's still the same child as yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> all, that, all that's happened is that we're gonna get some money, yeah? <laughs> She's like, oh, oh, darling, don't worry. He's beautiful. You know, I went to church the other day and saw his kids there. Yuck! So don't, (laughs) you know, just very, you know, direct. And it's just, and it's fine. And you look after each other. Um, You know, there are no rest homes in Samoa. There are no special schools in Samoa. There, you know, you look, you, you always look after your family. Hmm. Um, So yeah, it is different, and that's part of the reason why. I love Gisborne so much is because the demographic is quite different. The 50% of the population is Māori. Hmm. Um, and my son, being Ngāti pro, affiliating to Ngāti Konohi, which is Whangarā school, all the children look at each other as Fano hmm. and you look after whānau, you look after each other. So Tanga, aroha, those are, those are foundational principles of this small country school. They're struggling with him leaving. That's, that's not gonna, it's not going to. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to. Yeah, the grief is already setting in. Mm. You let letting go is always hard for a parent. Yeah, but it becomes it becomes harder when you fret about. Oh, I don't. You know, the world is the world going to be kind enough to my baby? I mean, I can remember riding on the school bus with him because I was determined that he was going to ride the bus, mm. but then also at the same time I couldn't couldn't let go. So I rode. On the bus next to him, and then in a seat behind him, and then at the back while he was at the front mm. for three weeks.
1: <laughs> Spying in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it was
4: lovely. It was a lovely time. Um, whereas with my daughter, you know, I took her to the bus stop and said, Oh, mummy, we'll get on the bus. And she's like, Nah, see ya, mum. Nah. nah, I saw what you did with Umaniki. I'm not having that. Nah, catch you later. Yeah. And I just sat in my car and cried. Like. <laughs>
1: chats with Tiana before she came into the studio, we got talking about a famous essay that gets passed around between parents of children with disabilities. It's called Welcome to Holland, and it was written by an American woman, Emily Pearl Kingsley, in 1987. She's the mother of a child with Down syndrome. Now, not everyone likes the story, but Tiana found it really helpful, and we wanted to ask her about that. It's kind of hard to get it without hearing it, so I just read the whole thing out. I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's like this When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make your wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's been a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The most important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks. You must learn a whole new language, and you will meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills and Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. They're all bragging about what a wonderful time they had there, and for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever, ever go away because the loss of that dream is a very, very significant loss. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special and the very lovely things about Holland. Oh, I think we're all wiping away tears now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: So why did that story uh, resonate so much with you? Because it just captures it.
4: Absolutely, it's the it's the loss of a dream. I think that in some ways you've been sold. I would say, um, but it but it's hopeful because it tells you, hey, look, yeah, it's going to be different, and you will grieve this idea you had about your life. But but don't dwell on it because, yeah, you've got clogs and cannabis. Holland has <laughs> cannabis. <laughs> there are lots of things to learn. Yeah. But, it, yeah, you, you're thinking everyone else is going to Italy and buying Prada and having this f- fabulous-looking Instagram life. Mm. And I'm in Holland, and that wasn't, wasn't what, I, what I thought or pictured. Um, it's, it's light. It captures the, the realness of how it feels, but it gives you hope. And that's why that, that saved me in that first year.
3: I think when, it, when it's so ingrained in our society that everything's supposed to be like living in Italy it's really hard to, to get used to living in Holland.
4: Yeah, yeah. And at some point you're just gonna go, I am not gonna be Italian. I'm gonna be... Dutch. 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 <laughs> yeah,
2: I <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm
4: gonna be Hollandish.
2: <laughs>
3: Jeez,
1: what an excellent lawyer I am. Yeah. For people who don't understand autism or how to act around disability because I I know I've had some really awkward interactions what what would you say to them
4: don't stare that's the one thing if you're not prepared to help in a situation where a child's having a meltdown or a parent is struggling don't just stand there and stare because that that's felt um don't judge because you have no idea what's going on for that child or that parent um, and just keep mo- If you're not prepared to help, then keep moving. I think the most helpful thing that a stranger did for me was my son was having a meltdown in an airport, and I was also holding my baby daughter. And this lady stepped in and said, can I, how can I help? Do you want me to hold your baby while you manage him? Is there something I can do? Can I get him a drink from the vending machine? And so she was, she was willing to actually physically step in and help me, what, what can I do? Where am I best placed? Mm. Um, and everybody else in that particular area just, you know, didn't stare, or if they did look, they looked in a really compassionate, like, Mm. it's okay. We, you know, we can work this out together. And it's as simple as that, I think.
1: And that's it. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of What's Wrong With You. There were so many great pills of
3: wisdom from both Dan and Tiana that I'll be putting in the bank for when I become a parent one day. And if you want to watch a seriously cute video of three-year-old Olivia blowing raspberries at her dad instead of practising her walking, check out our show page, stuff.co.nz forward slash what's wrong with you. We've posted a little clip.
1: In the next episode, we're off on a bit of an adventure. Uh, We need to find a lift. Oh my gosh, it's huge. Are you guys gonna get into it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't oh, wake up. Has that man got like Carlsberg at ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> this podcast was made with support from New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Holland was written by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Thank you to our guests Dan Buckingham and Tiana Airpatty, as well as Adam Dudding, Carol Hirschfeld, Eugene Bingham, and Grace Stratton. This episode was sponsored by Every Human, an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing, footwear and lifestyle products. It's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au.